unserer Radiosendung At The Net. Eine weitere Folge von At The Net Podcast wird Ihnen präsentiert von Texmax Produktion. Unsere Produzenten D-Mac und Dave The Brain drehen heute die Drehknöpfe nur für uns. Begrüßen Sie mit mir unsere heutigen Moderatoren Craig Bell und AJ Jabria, die uns heute durch fünf Themen begleiten. Von Tennis zu Trends außerhalb des Tennisplatzes. Und vielleicht teilen Sie sogar ein paar Tipps und Tricks zum Thema Leben. Sehr geehrte Damen und Herren, Craig und AJ. You are like Tom Gullickson, you are a one-take-wonder. That's right. Well done. Smooth is better, as they say in the business. <laughs> Thanks to our Ethernet Podcast Girl for that fabulous introduction. And welcome, fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 12 of At The Net Podcast with AJC and CB1, who are talking the great game of tennis as it seems to us. Plus, thanks go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Production. That would be Darian D. Mac McBrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from Brack of the House, who are on the soundboards, moving the dials and buttons to make us sound like real people. We're live, right, AJC? We are. We're real people. We Not Memrex. Not Memrex, <laughs> uh, but hopefully some Tenrex later, and we'll tell you yeah, what that means in a bit. Absolutely. Lastly, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female, sorry guys, and would like to read the opening intro for At The Net Podcast and be an At The Net Girl, let us know as we are always looking for new female voices to do the intro, even in a foreign language, I might add, AJC. We love that, uh, whether it's an accent or the actual foreign language. Yeah, looking forward to those. Well, we definitely have a very good speaker and a great, uh, maybe we'll have to get you to do the opening intro for us, Dr. J. Yeah. This is our good friend, Dr. Joy Macy on the line. How are you doing there, Dr. Joy? Oh, spectacular, Craig and Adrian. Look forward to being with you guys. Wonderful having you, Joy. Thank you. Yeah, we've we've known Joy. Gosh, I don't know. It's been a long time. Let's just say we we've you've been in the Dallas area, you know, for for years and years and years. We knew about you even before you came to to the Dallas area. But uh, it's a real honor, real fun to be able to talk with our good tennis amigo, Joy Macy. Yeah, we we folks at home don't confuse it. We do call her Dr. J. But yes. she is not six foot seven, and she doesn't dunk like uh, magically, beautifully. Uh, and she didn't play for the 76ers, unfortunately. But she did play a great level of tennis and coached uh, among the highest levels of tennis. And uh, here we are with Dr. J. I love it. Yeah, no, she, she's got an excellent overhead. She can <laughs> yeah. she can five slam a jamma from the overhead, instead of five slam a for, from the basketball court. Absolutely. Yeah, so we we, we are definitely excited, honored. Uh, Joy's been. Uh, USPTA Pro, PTR Pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've done just about everything in tennis, Joy. I mean, there really isn't anything that, uh, you know, you've been all over the world. You've written books. You've spoke at, you know, conventions. Mm -hmm. You've been uh, in the tennis and fitness industry both. You're a legend in both both industries. You've had radio shows. You've been on TV. Is there anything you haven't done? <laughs> Keep working on learning new things there, Craig. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, it just... You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of uh, sitting alongside Joy on our Tex-Mex Productions live stream. Uh, she's just a lot of fun, just a really good person. Uh, we've done some uh, tennis events as well. Pickleball, we, we played pickleball just recently. She was my partner. Yeah, sorry I let her down. I, I just, I just uh, missed too many shots, but uh, we had a great time. I mean, so Joy, Dr. J, I just like to refer yeah. to her as Dr. J because she's Dr. J to, to me. Now. Most of us actually. Yeah, yeah I think everybody calls her. <laughs> Pretty much, Dr. J, in an affectionate manner. Like I said, you know, we know that you aren't six foot five, but I think we're, I think you're seven foot five in the tennis industry. <laughs> you're not right. six foot five. You're, you're much better than uh, the real Ju Julius Irving that we're speaking and about. And you know, it, on the pickleball court, when the net is a little shorter like that, she actually is, relatively speaking, over seven six. foot five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, great guys like you, you can always be ten foot tall. You know exactly, but you can get with great people like. Adrian and, and Craig, it's always a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, we are definitely glad to have you on board with us today and, and uh, spending a few moments with us to, to talk the great game and 
and whatever uh, we can come up with. Uh, it's going to be a fun you know, next few minutes to be able to uh, share some, some knowledge, ask you some questions, kind of get your thoughts on uh, you know, kind of the, the past, the, where we are today, maybe some future stuff. We've got you know, some questions lined up for you, and, and our podcast listeners are going to have, have a good time, I think, uh, you know, in this next uh, hour or so as we uh, talk uh, the great game of tennis, as it seems to us, with uh, Dr. J, right? AJC? That's it. That's it. Let's get to it. What's yeah. our? We have a three-set format. Our yep. listeners are used to sometimes a three and sometimes a five-set format. Yep. So this uh, usually we start off, uh, Dr. J, with uh, a couple of things. So uh, the story behind the story, uh, we, we kind of talk about what happened on this day in history. This would be September 30th of 1983. This would be Johnny Mac defeats uh, Ireland's Sean Sorensen 6-3-6-2-6-2 to tie the U.S. Davis Cup record in the Davis Cup qualifying round against Ireland in Dublin, Ireland. Boy, I bet you Ireland hadn't had a Davis Cup team. I can't remember in, in uh, since Sean Sorensen. Well, and certainly not in the world group. You know, they, they did some Eurozone and some smaller group play, but to be in the world world uh, group, group back then, yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, that was 36 years ago. Uh, this happened today. McEnroe's win over Sorensen ties him with his Davis Cup captain, Arthur Ashe. Art, Art Ashe at the mm. time was uh, Johnny Mack's captain for most singles victories by an American Davis Cup was 27. Uh, the win also ties McEnroe with Vic Satius for the most total uh, win singles and doubles with 38, which I know he's, he's gone on to. Oh, uh, John marched yeah. further than that. Yeah, yes, I'm he sure he did. This rolling. Was, and this was 1983, so September right. 30th, 1983, 36 years ago, uh, that uh, the, kind of the story behind the story. And then also we want to wish happy birthday to the Swiss Miss. Uh, that would Martina be Martina Hingis. Yes, yeah. So And we'll be talking more about nicknames further along with Dr. Joy because we know that she likes to uh, uh, have some special names for people. Uh, so those were a couple of things that, that have gone on. Uh, did you ever meet uh, John McEnroe, Dr. J? Oh, John McEnroe. No, I haven't. He's one that I haven't met yet. I think he, John McEnroe definitely has his his playing skills, his personality, his temperament in his own way. But really, he's also gone back to be quite a, a commentator later on as well. Yeah, you know, he might be as good as or better as a commentator than he was as a tennis player, do you think? Or is he at that level, do you think? Or is, is he a, a Grand Slam, you know, inter- interviewer, play-by-play uh, play guy, you know, on the television? Yes. Do you think he's as good as or better than he was on his playing days? Because he's a pretty good player. I really do. Because, you know, he really, he, he analyzes the game very well and he communicates it very well. I think, his, his, you know, his playing skills, he's an extremely talented player, but he also, the temper issues and things like that that kind of held him back a little bit, but or it also instigated him a little bit. But, um, yes, he was a great player, but I think you're right there, Craig, that his commentating skills could even carry him even farther. Yeah, because from a psychologist, you're you're a psychologist and you have a degree in psychology. So was you know when you, you touched on that just for a second, so I kind of find that interesting that you picked up on that. Do you, do you think that helped or hindered his uh, playing days? You know, Johnny Mack. I mean, he obviously a heck of a player. Would that have, mm-hmm. would you have if you were working with him? Would, would you have uh, pulled him over to the side by his ears and, and you know smacked him upside the head and go what what are you doing, John? Or would you say, hey, John, keep it up because I know that that gets you fired up. So from, well, a lot of it's so true. It's, they, it's that fire inside that these players have, their intense burning desire to be a champion. And then if you don't get perfection, to get angry and hard on yourself. A great example of that is when I was working with Andy Roddick. He had that similar type personality. You know, that's the fire inside. Want to be perfect. He misses. There was no, you know, no patience and had to, you know, to get the. But then when he learned how to calm it down, he saw how well he did. And that's where you know you learn. I think I would love to have seen Johnny tap onto that fire and you know McEnroe just to tap into the fire of what he's got. But if he could also found the control factor, you know, of the temperament a little bit as well, I think he would have gone even farther. Dr. Joy, what a great answer! And uh, if there's a way to do it, I want you to. I, I just want you. I want a group text between you, me, and Nick Kyrgios because I felt like you could, you could help. <laughs> oh, I, I feel like you could help my boy Nick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we would be honored to. <laughs> Does he have the same kind of issues? You think? You know, just curious. What your thought is on on Nick Kyrgios? Does he have the same type of? Uh, obviously, he's not as to his career. I mean, he's got. Uh, 
Um, I think Macron was further along, wouldn't you say? Probably. So Mac was winning slams at the age of uh, 19. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Correct. This kid's already 24. Not that time is running out. He's got lots of time, Nick does. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that's where you, you see different maturity levels and different players at different times. And you've got to adapt your training, you know, the physical, mental, emotional, and psychological training. There's almost a unique success puzzle that you've got to put together for each player individually. There's not just one way to make it work. You've got to see there's different physical talents, there's psychological talents, there's different psychological challenges that each of these players have to work. And that's what you have to do is to find that winning combination that allows each and every player to pay at their peak performance level. Love it. Let's uh, let's move into. Shall we move into the second set? Yeah, CB? yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, do you yeah. want to go ahead and? I think you had a, a really the, good question. Um, the the sort of academic tennis dork in me has a few questions uh, for Dr. Joy. Um, you mentioned Andy Roddick. If I may add, you've had a huge role in the lives uh, in the tennis lives and the personal lives of. Jennifer Capriati, another uh, Grand Slam champion and former number one. The great Venus Williams, a multiple Grand Slam champion and world number one. And her little sister, Serena Williams. So some of the questions I want to ask about mentoring four world number ones. At what point, Dr. Joy, did you feel the greatness, the aura, the talent, and the focus in these four remarkable champions? That's a great question, Adrian. Um, let's see. If we talk about, let's go first. Let's say probably the first one you're going to be talking with is Jennifer Capriati. Mm -hmm. um, she and then you know their whole family moved to our ten our tennis academy at Macy International Tennis Academy in Florida, and it was the father Stefano, the, the mother Denise, Denise, and then the younger brother. Um, and it was fun to see the dynamics. We saw that Jennifer had talent, but the more we started working with it, we saw it's like the laser focus started coming in. And that's where then she, you know, went on to play a pro tournament and then, you know, did very extremely well at a young age, at 13, when things started launching and kicking off. You could see that um, even at that age, even at 13, you could see that she had that type of ability to concentrate, I guess, you know, is a better word maybe, or, or really focus in on what she's able to accomplish at age 13, right? Just, I mean, just at... Yeah, the first exactly. That, that kind of came in, yes, I would say between 12 and 13 was kind of like, she, it's really zeroed in, and you saw that, gosh, she was going to be able to compete at the pro level. Already at that, mm -hmm. that, that young of an age. That, that's yes. unbelievable. And, and Joy, we're talking, what, her 12, 13-year-old uh, body and her mind, this was what, 1989, 1990? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's the, where, and there's a lot of change going on in a female body at that time, as, as we all know, and even in men's body as well. Yeah. But in the female body, is there's a lot. And then she also, when they moved from our Macy Academy that she went into Satterbrook, then she had the different issues come up that were quite a few challenges for her. But I was so proud to see that she really bounced back and, you know, really overcame, come back and went to the Olympic gold and, you know, really redeemed herself in some wonderful ways. Mm -hmm. Winning the Australian Open, that was a heck of a comeback. Oh, Maybe absolutely. 10, yeah, 10 years <laughs> after her debut, yeah. So was, did she have a woman's body even at age 13? Was she developed, you know, physically from that standpoint? I'm just kind of interested because you obviously said no, mentally. No, really. I would say physiologically, no. I mean, she was still a young girl. Okay. She was a girl. Okay. She had the mind was pretty sharp, but some of her weapons, you know what I mean? It's like her two-handed backhand was, you know. So that was one of her biggest weapons, you know, but then the mental prowess and then strength of learning how to handle pressure in situations she, was quite strong. She could also mm -hmm. handle a fairly big serve from the other side. I remember dealing with Selish, um, yeah. you know, a body serve from... Uh, a lefty body serve from the slice of Celis, and this girl is crushing it down the line, you know? It's impressive. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I she would step in and then get her weight shipped into it, especially with a two-handed backhand, absolutely. Mm -hmm. so, so did you have her playing with, with some of the, the guys, you know, hitters around the, you know, kids that were academy, you know, academy yeah. kids, or did you have pros come in and hit with her? How'd, how'd you all work her out, you know, and that she well, was Well, it was kind of neat. Well, a lot of times the academy boys were a strong fit, for Jennifer and things like that. 
we also had ex-touring pros, like young pros in their, you know, their early to mid-twenties just off the pro tour come in and play some of these kids. So then that's where they got, as you would say, the fresh meat, the, the new the new age of what it was like, you know, to get a feel for what it kind of felt like with a pro, a pro that's just come off the tour. Was this on clay or was hardcore or both? We had all three. We had all three, sir. We had Ed Greenleaf. We had the hardcore, the clay, as well as the grass courts. Yeah, grass courts. Yeah. Ah, I didn't realize Yes, that. we did. We had three beautiful grass courts, yeah, at Greenleaf. And then when we moved and expanded the facility to the 50-court facility down at Labor's old facility in Delray Beach, mm. it was just hardcore and clay. We had 50 courts there. Which, which one did you all like working on better? Did you all like the hard court, or did you like clay court mostly, or did you do both just kind of uh, equally? Where more players were more attuned towards the hard courts, Craig, they, you know, because that was more the traditional, more the play was more preparing them for the French Open or the you know the tournaments of the clay. But what's neat is in tennis. It's, it's wonderful to use all three surfaces because you learn different games and different styles from each of the three surfaces. You know, your hardcore, your big power game, it's more the American game, the Russian crush, you know, the big stuff. And then you've got your clay, you know, like Nadal is, you know, the, the clay master. You know, the, it's like you see the arts, the spins, the, you know, the slides, all of that. But then on the grass courts, you've got your fast games, more your serve and volley games, the quick games, you know, take it on the rise, give them a surprise. Oh, there's one my timber. Exactly. There, you you know, these <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Say that again so everybody knows. Yeah, take the ball in the rise, give your opponents a surprise. Oh, I love ah, it. Ah, there we go. We knew it. She could, <laughs> you're only you're, you're 16 minutes into it, and you got your first uh, Dr. I J. Kimmer. Oh, she's oh, flowing. That, that, was not, <laughs> right. that was not even planned. And, and yeah. uh, I know we have some hip-hop fans out there, and I, I can just throw a beat down and let Joy roll, you know, let Joy flow a little bit. <laughs> I think she could probably be. A, she could probably spitball some rap. Oh, she could hang. Yeah. <laughs> Can I be okay. a rapper, guys? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so were, were people at that time? You know, were you all thinking, okay, we've got to stay back, or were you all trying to develop an all-court game? Or uh, yeah. it seemed like it, it started changing about the time Capriati came on the scene. Grasper uh -huh. more heavily involved. Uh, also, training. You know, off-court training. Were you all big into that yeah. as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, it's that day and time. As you look at Lindell, you look at uh, Martina Navratilova, we're on the, you know, these type things. And the, the game, the physiological aspect really raised the bar. You know, um, in a situation, we really focused on, like, yes, we wanted that solid weapons on the group the baseline game, but we also then wanted the full court game where they could be comfortable anywhere on the court. But then also the physiology, uh, the physical aspect that we even had boxers, we had a boxing professional that would come in and train the kids on like boxing and the footwork of boxing, you know, for the movement and things like that. The Taekwondo, that was the martial arts. I ended up getting into that when we were helping the kids use that type of stuff, and then I ended up qualifying for nationals of the plateau in that area. Um, then, you know, and then also, you know, the regular, the traditional sports medicine stuff, we also added the footwork stuff, the stretching and flexibility and pulling that. And then the mental aspect of things, how to be that inner winner. You know, what do you do to win? You know, when the going gets tough, you're down on yourself, how do you shift the, you know, how do you change the gears? How do you shift mm -hmm. the dial so you find out the winning combination versus beat yourself up? You know, where so many players beat themselves versus the opponent beating them. So, so. An interesting question, I'm just kind of thinking about this. So did you all <laughs> do more off-court? Type training than on court, or did you do 50 50, or would you say you still did, you know, 80% on court, 20% off court, you, you know, from the mental yeah, and, and the physical training it was side? For like 80 20 still, yeah. Okay, I so think you're, you're more, yeah. Still mm -hmm. hitting a lot of balls, so you're having Jennifer and whoever, you know, whoever the kids were down there were yeah. hitting a ton of balls still, but at the same time, you were starting mm -hmm. to introduce a little more of the physical training, a little bit more of the mental training, you know, mm -hmm. from that standpoint. Right. Some chalk talk mm -hmm. as well in there where that probably really hadn't been really worked on uh, from, I don't think, I remember Lindell talking about doing some mental aerobics in his mind or mental match play. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. I had never thought about that, you know, trying to get that mind, you know, set in Vis place. Visualization, yes. pre-match ritual. Exactly. It's, it's how do you pivot, P-I-V, here's one of my other initiatives, pivot, positive intention and visualization. When you get a player in their mind, whenever they're playing, the match and pressure is on. 
And if they're getting started to get down, there's stuff, learning how to pivot to say, here's what I want, here's my, you know, my positive intention and visualization, and use that to shift the dial. So they can get back onto the winning course. So you moved on and you had Andy, little Andy, little Andy Roddick come in and start hitting balls there. What was he like versus, you know, the rest of the kids? Was there something different? Did you see see greatness in him already at, at, at a young age? When, when did he come? Well, it was quite come an interesting. His older brother, John Roddick, was, you know, full-time at our academy for many years and, you know, for a year or so. And then his mother, Blanche and Andy, then moved, you know, from Texas to you know to our academy in Florida and the dad actually kept, you know kept his, you know, his tent here in, in Texas you know kind of supporting the family and um, we saw you know Andy when he came on board he was 10 years old he was so cute he was like a little spark plug like really close to an atomic bomb on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 his intensity level was at 15 to 20 and really? he was just ready to explode and go after you know he was just a young you know spark plug it was funny one of the pros that I know, the international pros, actually pros from the, in the U.S. So he said, did you realize what he came? He said he wanted to marry you. Went, what? <laughs> it was just kind of funny. <laughs> like the, the childhood or whatever. You had your first proposal but, uh, from a 10-year-old. <laughs> oh, I know, exactly. But uh, so no, I had the pleasure of working with Annie. He's a great, he, he had just he had the talent. He had a lot of skill, a lot of talent. His intensity was so strong. His focus was strong. Mentally, he was very strongly wired. But physically, and then we just had to get that right combination where you calm down the mental a little bit and then balance out and get that, that flow between the physiology, psychology, and biomechanics of a player. You know, you see each player has their own levels in all three of those areas. And how do you find, you know, the, the winning combination or the matching the intensity levels that they could, you know, keep raising their full potential and keep accelerating their potential to the, to the peak performance levels? So was he was he a kid that might be considered ADD at that point? Yeah, you know, that's kind of a term. You know, twenty years ago, you didn't ever say ADD. Yeah. That, well, he prob- probably is that around that style. Yeah, I mean, real intense, real focused. If he got angry, you know, he'd get angry if he missed a shot. It was kind of cute. He'd be playing a pro. He'd be playing a, a playing lesson with some of the ex-touring pros. And these guys were in their early to mid twenties, and he was ten years old. If he was losing that, he'd get frustrated. If I wasn't there on the court, he'd run up there. I said, Joy, we've got to, we've got to go, go practice that serve until we get a timing and get it perfect. You know? But it's that intense, burning desire that makes someone not only good, but great. Mm. You know what I mean? That's that intensity and that focus. If something's not right, he'll put the time, energy, and effort. He'll fix it then. doesn't matter if it's been three hours after a match that he's just lost to grueling he wants to go back out in the court and work on fixing. Would you have to tell Andy to go home sometime? Like, Andy, it's 10 o'clock, go home. <laughs> He's got, yeah, he was a, he was a go getter. Definitely, he had, his heart his heart was bigger than his body. Absolutely, and he really you know laid it out loud in the court. So, also, you had uh, Mary Pierce and Vince Spadia around around the exactly. academy at that time yep. as well. Mm-hmm. That, 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 were, were they adults that came with you at that time, or they were more in their yeah. early but years? Mary, Mary Pierce was a little bit older. Vince Spadia was younger. He. Um, he, ain't afraid he was of kind you. of. He ain't afraid of you. Yeah. Was he afraid of you, Vince Spady? I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> that, that was kind Wait, of his was he what, Sorry, what, please? <laughs> no, Vince always his his uh, sort of a tagline. Tagline yeah. is I ain't afraid of you. I'm Vince Spady. Oh, I ain't afraid of you. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> Respect everybody, but fear nobody. Exactly. You know, it's that uh, he had a big heart. I mean, his intensity and his fire. He's a very disciplined player. It's kind of along the style of like a Mike. Chain. Yeah, and another you know, one with a remarkable, yeah. remarkable mm-hmm. two-handed backhand. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and you're correct. So, so Vince was already had he already had played a lot. Did he grew up in California? Was he a Californian? Florida, Florida. Florida was guy, he a Florida yeah. guy? Okay, and and so he was he from around that area where you all. You know, we're setting up shop, and then he just came over, and or did he stay with you overnight? And that yeah, kind of was he a delivered? boarding student or a local? No, he was more of a local. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then he was not the fault. Come, mm-hmm. out, come yeah. out and take some hits. And then uh, Mary Pierce, I yeah. guess she would have had to be a boarder, wouldn't she? Would she, would she board at the academy? Did she have to stay no, there? No, she didn't. She did not board. Uh, oh, she didn't? Again, she, she was uh, She and her dad, yeah, they would, you know, pop in and work out a lot with Rick and then, you know, do some other things as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I know Craig mentioned uh, maybe the speculated Vince might have been from California. He is in California now, and that's he's correct. an that's agent yes. for models. Right. He's a oh, modeling that's right. agent. Craig Barton yeah, was talking right. about, yeah. He ain't afraid of anything, is he? <laughs> yes. Just, he might as well go from tennis to, to modeling. To I mean, modeling. It's a great career path. He's right? living the dream, baby. He is. <laughs> All right, so now you're... you're Last two really famous, you know, uh, Academy kids, Serena and Venus. Oh wow! They, they were yeah. they came to you at a young age, right? They really did. I mean, it's actually um, were they about- Serena was and Venus was eleven. So I mean, uh-huh. they came very young when uh-huh. uh, the Williams family packed up from Compton, California, and moved to the Macy you know, International Tennis Academy in Greenleaf, Florida. You know, it was a a big deal. It was. So neat because they also had an older, younger sister, and the mother and father, Brandy and, and Richard. And um, what was kind of fun is when even just seeing him come off the, um, you know, off the Winnebago steps and coming out to the, you know, coming stepping out of the court. And what was really neat is when you saw Venus and Serena, even at the ages of nine and eleven. They would step on the court, because Rick just says, when he flew out to California to go see the girls in Compton, and he says, Joy, they're really something special. They've got, you know, really magic. And it was, what was fun is then seeing them, their whole family move to the, to our academy at Greenleaf, and then them jumping off the steps, and they, their smiles were as big as Disneyland, just like they had just come to Disneyland of the tennis world. And then when they would step on the court, the magic that you saw, I almost get chills right now. Wow. You could see, I mean, even at the age of 9 to 11, you saw young, playful, positive, big smiles, happy, positive energy girls. They would step on the court. You just saw some, something special. There was a special magic there. There was a special everything that these two girls possessed. We knew that they could be great players. The extent of their, their magnitude and the legacy of their legacy, I'm so proud of them. It's so exciting to see it even exceeded what everyone's expectations are. But what's so neat is that family is so tight and close from the inside out. I mean, it's like, it's family, it's, it's, you know, it's God, it's family, it's, you know, it's hard work. And that's where integrity, doing the best shot, making the most of the opponent, being positive, working through the challenges, these girls, they added that to the magic that, they, you know, their God-given gifts that they were, you know, inspired with. How did you all meet them? Just out of curiosity, did did someone call and say, "Hey, Rick and Joy, you need you need to see"? I think Rick got a little bit of a heads up on it, and he flew out to California and met with you know Richard and the family in Compton. You drove out into Compton into the hood and, and yep, uh, he went into exact the machine gun land exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's packing, and packing heat also too in his uh, <laughs> briefcase <laughs> as he went there. I don't believe he did, but. <laughs> I would have to ask him on that. <laughs> did did, did uh, so? Did they get get in the uh, car and just drive over to you, or did they fly over? How they how they get over to? Oh, to actually, Florida? a Winnebago. A, a big Winnie, huh? Actually, yeah. yeah, a big Winnebago. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they just drove over and and uh, parked that was their, that, like their, that was like their mobile home, moving to to Florida. Did did they stay there then after that like? After they played tennis that day, did they go in the, Win- the Winnebago and live there, or did they go to a house? Oh, no, no, they, no, there's this facility we had a, a, you know, okay. a facility for them. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I didn't know if that was their yeah. living quarters. Well, they didn't live in Winnebago, no, no, exactly. That was their just, transportation. Just traveling around. Okay, and then, you know, at, at that age, so you could tell at 9 and 11 that they there yeah. was something to them that Jennifer Capriotti, Andy Roddick, uh, Vince Spadia, Mary Pierce, they all had that same common intangible of it, which is hard to define what it is, right? It really is. I mean, it's that something special. I mean, with these two, we knew that it was something very, very special. You could tell. The other, the other players were very good. They had special stuff, but you saw it grow over time a little bit. These two, you could find that you, you sensed, it's, it's almost an intuitive type thing that you knew, wow. There's something, there's greatness here. Were they wise beyond their years, maybe on the court, or were they just wise beyond their years, just in, in all facets of it? And, and you're right, all facets of it. The, 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 physio, the physiology, they're also their mental wisdom, and just that calm, playful, active, you know. But then it's just also the biomechanics, learning to connect the shoulder, hand, and hip as one unit. This is where things, you know, the way they move, the way, you know, there's just 
you know, you look at the open stance backhand, we kind of started that, which was really unheard of at that day and time. Sure. Because yeah. their, their coordination and timing, it worked. Did, did, now, did Richard do something special with them, kind of when they were little, like roll balls, or did he just hit thousands of balls at them, you know, kind of like a big grocery cart? What, what did he do kind of to develop at that stage? Did he, did he share with you any secrets that he did? Was there anything that you could share, pass on, that, that he might have done? Oh, God. I don't have it. I would always, I would also want to be a hundred percent correct. So I think Richard will be the best one to answer you on that. I know what was was kind of fun. I knew for Richard, he, he had the dream. You know, when they were, you know, when Orsine yeah. was, he had the dream that his girls would be champions. Right. And it's kind of like it's almost a subconscious programming of you know his desire and goals to see the goals that they could be. And you really look at the history of tennis. There's never been. You know, a, a sister. Well, you, the Bryan brothers. Yes, that's the on the male end of things. The the, the, two, the two brothers that they have done such an amazing job in the in the doubles aspect of world. They've been world champions for many years. But you look at the legacy that Serena and Venus have done, and two sisters and things like that. That's you know the top of the tennis industry. Yeah, I, I was always impressed with the Jensen brothers and the Maleva sisters, yeah. the Gullickson yeah. brothers. But this is mm-hmm. a completely new level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those other ones that you mentioned are all so great in their own. Yeah. But this with Serena and Venus. Look at how many decades <laughs> they're doing, and they're still going. Yeah, three three decades, yeah. literally three yeah. decades. Yeah, nineties, yeah, two thousand, yeah. teens, yes, and maybe a little more in the twenties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Might be in the twenties. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, might be might be four decades of. I would, I'd say almost dominance. You know, obviously, oh, yeah. they, they've got. Uh, I mean, Venus is still playing pretty well at. Uh, you know, Absolutely. Her thirty, she's not. Uh, I don't think she's necessarily competing for titles, but she's you know four four or five rounds into a Grand Slam a event. Slam. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and if she wanted to play some of the lesser tournaments, she probably would be, you know, right there at top. If she wanted to play the, you know, whatever open, yep. she could That's go in. To this school schedule, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Did so with with those girls. You know, like I said, uh, Richard was he just feeding balls to. Oh, he was, a, he was a great. Absolutely, he would feed balls and kind of put them on the Compton courts. You know, the sidewalk courts. You know, with the the mafia gangs going <laughs> that type of situation. Yes. Did, did, but, uh, did he have a tennis background or anything? Did he what? What uh, other than just watching on TV? Did he read some books? Obviously, the internet wasn't around. So did he? You know, that's true. I, that's, I believe. I think it, the big thing. I think is more what he learned and read. Yeah, he, he, a, a close friend of mine, John Worley, was coached by a great coach in Los Angeles uh, named John Corrig, and I know Richard took several lessons from John Corrig and learned the game through him, through, like you said, a lot of reading and maybe some videos, and he took a... Uh, diverse uh, workman's approach to making these kids champions. And of course, one of the stories I always heard, and you probably have seen this firsthand, Joy, is these girls uh, at age, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, are able to walk on their hands. They were. They were that physical. They had that much Mm -hmm. strength that they could actually do like a handstand and then walk. Walk on their hands. Like a gymnast. Yeah. Yeah. And also, they played very few, hardly any junior terms that went straight to pro tournaments. See, it's kind of what I wrote in my first book, Serendipity of uh-huh. Success, is these girls, you know, kind of, it's like, remember the old Frank Sinatra, those are age, I, I did it my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Richard, you know, kind of, did, they, they did it their way. This was so unused in the tennis industry. This wasn't the norm where you go to the tennis junior circuit and then you get to try out for the pros. No, they just went straight, boom, into the pros and did well. So was that different? You know, I mean, because you've, you've, you've worked with some world-class people, so was it different working with those people versus the other people at the at the academy? Because you had other you know people that were there. Oh, yeah. So, we had kids from... We had kids from around the world, you know, housing, boarding, and training in our facility, and that's what was really neat about it. And what was fun was you saw such a, it was kind of like a Macy Academy family. It was just so tight. The kids really cared about, you know, yes, they were competitive among themselves, but they were very tight-knit. They were supportive of each other to help, you know, encourage everyone. It's like one of the young players that flew in, um, 
with a young player that was flown in from Japan. He was nine years old, hardly spoke any English. And uh, he had a long name, but his nickname was Taco Bell. It was so fun. When he first came, he hardly spoke English. He was you know, thrown in a foreign country. We didn't realize. We figured his parents were going to be coming with him. His parents weren't with him. And he was young and brave and comes across, but it was so cute to see the older boys at the Macy Academy and the girls, everyone really, you know, surrounding him and giving him support and family at the end of six months when he was supposed to be going back. He didn't want to go home because he loved it so much here. You know what I mean? Because that's of the, the love, the support, the camaraderie, the family, you know, type situation. And that's where some of the special things that you do have in, a, in an international tennis academy. You're hitting on one of the things I love about uh, team tennis, whether it's NCAA, Davis Cup, mm -hmm. Fed Cup, Laver Cup. It's that team vibe, and you fostered that with a bunch of yes. uh, kids who are under 14, even individuals by yeah. nature. So, you know, I'm I'm just fascinated by Richard. Yeah, I'm just kind of thinking, would would uh, his philosophy work with a lot of parents? I mean, we've got people listening to us that have kids, I'm sure, that are listening to what you're saying, yeah. how you developed. It. So he did it his way. Is that a recommended way? I mean, from a psychological standpoint, would you recommend that for, let's say, your average uh, John Doe out there with his you know, little Sally or little uh, Sammy kind of deal? Not really, Craig. I think this is where, which I want to say, it was a unique situation. It was a unique talent with these two young girls. And Richard had a unique mindset. And this is where I give the whole family great credit for that. Norseen was like the solid rock, the spiritual rock of the family as well. And, and the other sisters. Um, and it was a situation where it was something very unique and special. It's not something, where, you know, you see some like Steffi Graf, you know, parents or different things, but you'll see a few parents, uh, you look at Andy Murray, you know, Judy Murray, different things like that, but it's a situation where this was unique. Um, I think it'll be unparalleled in tennis history, past, present, and future. Well, at least, yeah, because it seems like most parents have some type of tennis background that uh, yeah. kids, exactly. if you look at their the parents, I'd say the, the good majority of them, not all of them do, but there is there is a common thread that there is one that has played tennis or has maybe taught tennis or uh, exactly. done something in the tennis world, understands mm -hmm. tennis. Because it's not easy exactly. to traverse through what we do, even to get where we are. Yeah, It's yeah, not, it's not, not an easy oh. deal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, you're so true. You're so true on that. And also in a situation, you're also in a place where it, unsafe you know when they grew up in Compton California that's true too yeah physically unsafe not, it's not you know a wholesome all-american neighborhood that everyone is a certain class and it's comfortable and whatever no it's, it was a different situation and that's one thing I think the Williams really need to be complimented and recognized for yeah they came basically out of the hood and they, yeah. that really is the hood yeah, I yeah. see some, nope. exactly. mm -hmm. I see some uh, of that tight-knit, us-against-the-world um, uh, attitude with Richard. And I also see it with a guy like Novak Djokovic, who, uh, it was a different kind of hood where he grew up, but it was a war-torn nation, yep. and there were some not-safe conditions, and that kid survived, and he is as strong mentally as the Williams girls, you know? He's amazing. No. Absolutely, absolutely. But you also look at another aspect of the Williams sisters, that's which people almost you don't think about, where they, they do think about, but it's like, you look at Serena, she is a mother. <laughs> she has given birth and she almost died giving birth to a child, you know what I mean? And she is a mother in doing it. But also, both Serena and Venus, you look, they also have business backgrounds behind them. Venus has the clothing line, you have, they've done things with architecture, I mean, they've done, they own, I think, some pro football teams, you know, there's a variety of things that they've done. You see how they didn't put all of their eggs in the tennis basket. They worked on developing their full self. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, business-wise, the whole aspect of things, um, and that's a, that's a good role model. I think everyone can also look for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are some times when Serena, does, she, she has she has a bit of a mm. moment every now and then, mm. but she has yeah. done things off the court. She seems like a well-adjusted person. I think she just wants to she wants to win so badly that sometimes she lets her 
inner self take over her outer self, and it, it gets her in trouble every now and then. And mm-hmm. I mean, I can't say that I've ever can be like her. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm just right. assuming what's going on. But she seems to, off the court, she seems like a very pleasant person. She seems to, you know, when I see her on QVC, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. She seems pretty genuine, and yeah. she makes some Instagram posts pretty funny, you know, with her, with Junior, little Junior, you know, her, her daughter, yeah. I think she calls Junior, which is yeah. kind of funny. That adorable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just smiling because... Uh, I see Craig as a guy who watches westerns and uh, oh, I do a lot. maybe a good Caddyshack, but I had no idea he watches QVC, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on there at 2 in the morning when there's nothing going on. I'll, I'll, I'll pull up the QVC channel and, and then order some things, you know, from uh, the Serena collection. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, Craig is that well-rounded man. See, yeah, exactly. He is, he is, <laughs> right. that. Yeah. I was like, yes, I'd, I'd love that, Serena. And a men, you have that in a men's L. Very yeah. good. Well, I like to throw rugs in the blanket. That's kind of more my style. It really ties the room together. It does. It makes it really look, just kind of just brings it to a whole new level. (laughs) Well, good. Let's uh, let's move it along. Uh, CB, you want to head to a few a few other questions like fast hands? You want to get to the next? Yeah, let's get to the next. Let's go. We know Dr. Jade didn't have all the time in the world, and we appreciate her time. But we wanted to ask a few questions about you, Dr. Jade. This is where we we go into our next set. It's called rapid fire or fast hands. When did you start playing? tennis dr j you know tell us when where all that kind of stuff about oh, uh, where, where dr j uh fashioned her game <laughs> when i fashioned my game well i was it it's the, the big roaring metropolis of crossett arkansas a small wow, rural town man. about seven thousand people in southeast arkansas Tiny um at the age of 13 exactly and uh, I was, you know, I, uh, the first year there, I was ranked highly in the state. Then I went to Newcomb's Tennis Ranch. I was selected for the international tour team to play exhibition match with John Newcomb. I mean, well, he was like top in the world. I was just really honored. And that kind of opened up my eyes to the world. I was selected one of eight guys and eight girls from the United States and Mexico to be for the John Newcomb's international tennis tour team. Where'd you go? The we UK to- or Australia? Where'd you go? Yeah, we went, we went to Mexico first and uh-huh. competed in Mexico, and then we went to the 1977 Wimbledon and then five one-week tournaments around the country. Dr. J. Wonderful. From Cassett, yeah, Arkansas. I know, a little girl, it was so cute, because here I was in a shelter, a little, you know, a strong Bible Belt, a strong, you know, rural, you know, situation in Arkansas, and then get selected to go internationally, and then you go to London, and you've got kids doing punk rock and jumping, and it's like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this before, what is this? You know? So yeah, I, it opened my eyes. I don't mean the world of tennis, but also the world. <laughs> You're a small town kid, and here you are in London watching the Sex Pistols or the Clash, huh? <laughs> yeah, Johnny Ross. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> what, what an incredible era to be a tennis player traveling. That is awesome. So how how'd you, oh, yeah. how'd you get involved? Were your parents involved? Were, did, are you just like your mom driving down the the road one day and said, "Hey, there's a tennis court. Joy, you want to play tennis?" Or let's yeah, hit. Yeah. What what's what was the what was the? Oh God! Uh, what started me? Well, actually, I have an older brother and older sister, twelve and fourteen years older than me. So I was the quote surprise of the family. My dad, when he came back from World War Two, he was briefly with, you know, mom for a while, then he had to permanently be put in the veterans hospital in Topeka, Kansas and lived there for over 30 years. So I didn't know my dad, but my mom highly raised her whole family. And uh, my sister played a little bit of tennis for fun, not really competitive so much, but more for fun. She said, oh, you want to try this? And I said, oh, that'll be fun. So then she kind of like had me tag along and then I got into it and so the tennis bug bit me and uh, would spend hours on the backboard and then playing with players and then things kind of evolved after that. Did Crossett, <laughs> so how, many, my, how many courts did yeah. you all have in Crossett, Arkansas? Did you have one, two? Oh, my five? guys. Well, there were three courts. It was kind of three little sidewalk courts that were not you know, high-flush courts. And then it was so funny. The city was so proud that they were going to build two more courts behind the three courts, and we were really excited about that. But they, so they built the courts up. They didn't realize... They made the tennis courts the size of the lines. They forgot to put around the court. So this is that just th- kind of shows the mindset and the expertise. And, and of course, it also shows why you became such a serving volleyer and a pickleball star. There you go. That's it. That's it, buddy. You got it. You weren't going to hang back. You weren't going to play eight, two meters, three meters black oh, to no. back like uh, like the exactly. the clay quarters exactly. of your day. 
Exactly. Anyway, see, I, I grew up playing with men, so I kind of more played like them. I had a continental grip, you know, flat serving volley game, flat power game, you know, that type yeah. of stuff. Yeah, just like one CB. Slight backhand, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Parts of our era. So what, what was the first racket that you used, Dr. J? Do you remember what was your first racket? Oh, yes, I believe it was a T2000. Wilson. Oh, a T2000. Stainless steel and uh, just a blast to string. Oh, I huh? know, exactly, yeah. And then I, later on, did the Dunnett's Max Fly and things like that, but it's like a small wood racket, yeah. I know. That was kind of, yeah. <laughs> What's your racket of choice today? So, T2000, and you've all the way to 2019. What are you using today? Oh, my gosh. Well, I use the head speed racket. I love it. Speed is wonderful. The, the black and yeah. white yeah. one that Djokovic uses. Djokovic, Zverev, uh, Bianca Andreescu. Yep. Yes. Yeah. yeah, pretty beautiful good. feeling, nice touch, good power. I just, it's a nice balance racket. Mm -hmm. All right, so the the next question is gut, nylon, poly combination. What do you like? Well, if you well, I like money. a high synthetic. It's a combination, you know, high, you know, synthetic gut. At what tension? And that's head speed. What do you? What do you? Uh, are you tight, or do you like it a little bit more loose, a little more? For I use it like mid plus two. So it's about 55 plus 2, so about 57. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so next question then. Was there a tournament, as you think back from this little girl from Crossed Arkansas, was there a tournament or a shot when you, you thought you knew you became a tennis player? You go, Dr. J, I got this now. Man, <laughs> I got this person down. Is, is there a moment, is there that defining epic moment in, in your mind that you went, hey, I can do this? Well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I played number one for, at the University of Arkansas, and that was a lot of fun. I, I think one of the big ones really was when, you know, I was selected for John Newcomb's International Tennis Tour Team, and then they could get exposed to players all over the world, go mm -hmm. see Wimbledon, and then, you know, play tournaments around the country, and play in Mexico, and, you know, it just, it kind of opened my eyes to the world. Yeah. And what was funny is, see, my family didn't have a lot of money because my dad was a disabled veteran, my mom was a school teacher and supporting us, you know. And it was, I was very thankful. It was a gentleman that would fly in to play with me because he was from Mississippi. He was a lawyer. He had his own plane, would fly in to play because uh, there weren't a lot of top players in the southeast, you know, Arkansas area. But he was kind enough to get his wealthy buddies to sponsor me on the Nukes International Tour Team, and that's what got me the opportunity to go, you know, to play, you know, open up the world of tennis to me at a whole new level. So I'm always very grateful. Yeah, sounds like. Jim. Yeah. Gentlemen, <laughs> shout out to anybody in particular? You know, the guy from Mississippi? Jim Newton. Yeah, Jim Newton. He was a wonderful guy. He and his family, yeah. He was the one that helped initiate that. So, yes. Mm -hmm. Jim Newton is a special person. Is he still around, do you, do you know, or is he... Uh, I don't believe so, but, yeah. But I, yeah. I think I heard that he had passed on, but, um, but I'm very grateful to this day yeah. for that. Because, wow. you know, with so many times, I mean, Adrian and, and Craig, you know, guys, when, as coaches, we, we care so much about the players we work with, and sometimes those little things can make such a big difference in people's lives. Oh, yeah, I'm sure each at special times in your lives when you transformed a player's life. Yeah, I'm sure that Jim, you know, he might have known that he helped you out, but, but maybe, maybe not. And somebody listening might might have known Jim Newton. I mean, the, I'm sure there's a Jim Newton and Adrian's <laughs> oh, life. Oh, we, we all had yeah. some great influences, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. And I hope and pray that he does know that would be great. <laughs> all yeah. right, so moving on. What's your, what's your most embarrassing moment in tennis, Dr. Uh -oh. What's your most embarrassing? Oh, boy. Do you remember anything oh that's embarrassing? Gosh. Like you fell down, you know, or you, uh, you know, uh, said something maybe you shouldn't have, you know, and it kind of came out funny or anything like that? Anything that oh, comes off? No, nothing really comes really off the top of my head. How about you guys? Can I hear a story from either one of you guys? Maybe get me warmed up in my mind stimulate. She's pretty <laughs> polished, Craig. I, 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 I knew... We were going to get. She's turning the tables she on us. Really, the mirror's start, starting to uh, turn the other way. Yeah. Do you have an embarrassing moment, AJC? Oh, I am silly, and I did a tweener, and sometimes it works, and sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. Yeah. And sometimes when you smack yourself and some blood comes yeah. out of your shin, Ooh. you you understand. Oh. That, all right, I'm yeah. being a jerk, and let me just refocus and yeah. and try to get make more balls, and instead of being fancy, you know. <laughs> I know mine was in junior college. Uh -huh. I was in Seminole, Oklahoma, and 
I was trying to impress some girls that were watching, so I thought I'd move up to around the service line and return this guy's serve. And, uh -huh. and my friend served one, and it hit the line, and it, and it, it didn't bounce really high up, and it kind of went right past the, the old uh, uh, area where guys yes. have... have uh, oh, they, no. can start, they can start to speak like the Vienna Boys Choir. And, oh, no. <laughs> and everybody did oh, what you... No. Yeah, I, I, I think I walked off basically over to uh, an area and just laid down for about 45 minutes oh. while, while everybody oh, died no. laughing while I was there. And, and Craig, when that happens to you, they don't name the shot after you. No, when, when Roger does it, it's all of a sudden it's the saber. Right. You know, but when, when Craig does it. He did it very it, gracefully. I didn't do it very gracefully. It was just, it was a direct shot. And it, it was a crotch shot oh, and Craig no. is retired the match. Uh, yeah, well, this was just at practice, too. Oh, practice, yeah. It, oh, yeah, and I thought, I was just really cool. I was going to show people how fast I could yeah. return. There were about four or five girls. They they just died laughing. And I was like, Oh, oh. my gosh. You probably sang a cappella on that. I did, yeah. I did for about a week. Yeah. It, was, it was really embarrassing. Oh, wow. I, I remember that one like it was today. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was not good. Uh, favorite tournament, Dr. J? What tournament do you like? What is uh, your favorite event? You know, it could be any of the events. It could be the CrossFit Open, you know, maybe, or uh, Wimbledon, or Indian Wells. What, what, when Dr. J thinks of your favorite tournament, what is that tournament and why? It's definitely Wimbledon. I mean, just, you know, it's like, the Wimbledon is the root. This is where the sport originated in England, you know, and then it's the, the white clothing, it's the, the strawberries and cream, it's the smell of the grass court, it's the, it's the pomp and circumstance, it's just, there's something so very special. I mean, U.S. Open is fabulous, the French Open, Australia, all of those are wonderful Grand Slam tournaments as well, but there's something, I, I remember when, um, you were talking a little bit about the aspect of the Olympics, I think on the Olympics and things. It was so special in the 2012 one, the Olympics, where I had uh, the honor of doing, I was the communications director for the sports ministry aspect of the mm -hmm. LWFCI. And then that's where Wimbledon and the Olympics was all, at, you know, the Olympics were at Wimbledon and Serena and Venus won gold. It was just so magical. That's pretty cool. I'm I'm going to echo yeah. that. If she wanted to turn the tables and ask us, I would say Wimbledon, Cathedral of Tennis, and the Keepers of the Book. That, that's uh, I, oh. I, I uh, acknowledge that as well. Yeah, I mean it's, that's a great event, even though it's only played uh, once a year on grass, which yeah. is, is a surface that nobody really practices on. Yeah. For the most part, but what, a, what a joy to smell it and walk on it oh, and yeah. hear that very quiet bounce, whether you've thumped a serve or just sliced a backhand. It's just remarkable. Uh -huh. Yeah, how the ball either skids or dies. But That's a neat game. I have the great uh, announcer, John Barrett, you know, oh. call your match, you know, where he says about three words the whole match. He just lets it happen. Just between points, oh. never during. Yeah. Oh. No, it, it, he just listens. Let's the. I don't know if you remember John Barrett, the the announcer. Uh, oh, he's a great. You can see, oh, yeah. yeah. Had a really rich voice and just. Oh. He, he was. He didn't have to say too many words at all, but he. Whatever he said was just that authentic British accent that was just quality, authoritative, and yeah. still humble and wonderful. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just remember his 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 uh, his style. All mm. right. Uh, what's that? Go ahead. Say again. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. Nothing? Okay. Well. All right. Let's, let's move on just real quick because I know yeah. that uh, we're, we're closing in on time. That's right. Uh, what sport would you have played if it wasn't tennis, Dr. J? What sport? Oh, my God. Well, I've done different sports. In addition, I, was, I, I had the pleasure of doing the Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. um, also did, um, now we're expanding, you know, it was the equestrian world with jumping, inventing, and dressage. Interesting. Interesting. The horse yeah. person. Oh, yeah, I was yeah, national champion in that. Um, and oh, then... Um, there we go. Learn something new. Also, right and now, as, as you were saying, what we were doing, Greg, we were doing the pickleball. That, to yeah. me, is like the sport of the future a little I, bit. I and have that's a feeling. The, that's I have a growing feeling sport that... in the world. And it, you look at all of the really the top players in the pickleball world are present tennis pros or things like that. So it, the two sports fit beautifully in together. I have a I've got a feeling you've got another national championship in you in the pickle. In pickleball. Yeah. yeah right. She's a big Let's pickle. do it. She's Let's do it. Deal. Let's She's go, Craig. Deal. Come on. Let's go for it, buddy. Let's That's do right. it. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> so, so follow-up question. All right, yeah. then. If you weren't in sports, what would you, what would you be doing now? So that's another kind of, all right, if you didn't have sports in your life, what would you be doing? What would Dr. J be doing? 
if I wasn't so I wasn't in sports at all. Yes. Is there is there a fallback? Do you like watching TV westerns like me? You know, some kind of nerdy thing. Oh, or QVC. Um, or QVC at two in the morning. <laughs> I'd probably be flying planes, you know, probably be a pilot and flying all over the world. Interesting. Okay. Another gym yeah. another gym I love gym travel and yeah. adventure and people and cultures and you know. That is uh, kind of a lifelong passion. Another mm -hmm. tiny thank you and assist to Jim Newton of Mississippi. Yes, that's right. He's, he yeah. was a, a pilot. Did you ever fly with Jim Newton? Just out of curiosity, did you ever ride in the plane? No. Nope. No, I mean, I actually, I even had my, I started working on my pilot's license when I, when I graduated from, uh, finished my undergraduate work at University of Texas at Austin. I was half Razorback, two years at University of Arkansas, and then I finished the final two years after my life-threatening head injury and at University of Texas at Austin, so I was a Razor Horner Longback. Ah, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. And then I was in a worked at the Westside Tennis Club in Houston, and uh, it was kind of cute. A husband and wife couple came up and says, Joy, would you ever consider flying? Would you like to fly? So we were bartering tennis lessons and flying. I had a blast. I started working on my pilot's license, and then I was hired by Peter Verwesh International and relocated to Hawaii. So that's one thing on my bucket list to, to finish up is the pilot's license. So I mean, I've, flown small, I've even flown a helicopter one time. You know, so you flown a helicopter? Fun. Interesting. So how many that hours do you have flying? Just out of curiosity, I've never met What? How many hours what do you now? have flying? How many hours have you actually logged in the flying a plane or been around uh, as a co-pilot? I was on, on the on the pilot, uh, I mean, the, the, the for the plane working on my pilot, I was just about to go solo. So I had quite a few miles. You did. I was logged in. So, yeah, exactly. So, but I would need to start all over again on that. But it's okay. Yeah. We'll see. The time is right. We'll do it. All right, last question here. All right, if you could wave the magic tennis wand, what change or changes would you make to the great game, if any? Would you change anything if you had the the tennis wand and you could say, "Bing, bang, boom, shalasim, shalashum"? Yeah, tennis, Commissioner Joy. Yeah, what do you what do you do, if any? Oh my gosh. Do we make these thought-provoking questions, make it tough for you? That is really, that is a good one, you know, because you really think about the world of tennis. Because it, this, the world of tennis is so wonderful. I'm so grateful to the sport of tennis, and I will to, you know, for my whole life, because it's opened up the world to me. I would love to see more of the international tennis group, and I'd also like to see the men and the women's things be more equal. I think that would be neat. And more working together to advance the sport overall. But I think a lot of that has been done. But I would love to see people from all over the world to come enjoy and then to experience it in different places. I know from when I was blessed, I was in, I lived in Austria for a while. Did a television series in Austria. Did things and I was played a pro tournament in Tahiti and the Tahitian Federation hired me to come back. Rick and I did it to programs in Japan. You know, and I would love to see the world of tennis get closer and smaller and us share the great sport together or together. Joy, what that, a beautiful answer. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Uh, CB, you want to move to the last thing? Yes. Talk about some, yeah, some, some nicknames. silly fun nicknames. Do you, do you have some fun nicknames or tin ricks that you might want to throw out there? You know, uh, you know, I've got I've got a couple here. I know you like. Yeah, uh, get the ball rolling, CB. Okay, so, uh, so this is from Brad Gilbert. He has some funny ones that uh, this yeah. might help help Doctor Joy just kind of along the line uh, of kind of thought okay. process. You're you're like this. Uh, so Laura Robson, the the English player Laura Croft, you know, from uh -huh. the Laura Croft Tomb Raider. <laughs> the, the, the yeah. Movies. Yeah. Uh, movies. Marcos Bagdadis, he calls him Bags. Bags. Yeah. Everybody knows Xavier Melise, the X Man. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this is one of my favorites, Sister Sarah Arani. You know, three mules for Sister Sarah, because we are Western fans here uh, <laughs> at, right. at the Net Podcast. And that would be a Clint Eastwood uh, movie right there. Three, three and, mules and, for Sister Sarah. And she's from Italy, so we can yes. always call it a spaghetti Western yeah, that, nickname. That is true. Oh, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> uh, Heather Watson, elementary Watson. Elementary, elementary my dear. <laughs> elementary, my dear Watson, elementary, yes, exactly. Like Jolly Good Show, the old English tip tip. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, Coco Vandaway as Coco Puffs. So that, that, that's but, but Coco Goff can be, be Coco, Coco Puffs. That's, Coco that's true. Goffs, yeah. 
Uh, let's see here. We got uh, Tommy Haas, uh, Tommy Boy Haas. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Chris Farley reference from Beach. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Joanna Cont uh, Conta Contador. That, that's a like Alberto Contador, Contador. the uh, yeah. cyclist. Yeah. Uh, Venus Williams, VW. Did, did you all call her VW? Did you have any nicknames? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh, nicknames at the Academy. Oh, that would have been a good one. I hadn't thought about yeah, that. BW, I, I love Taco Bell. I'm guessing that kid's real name is what, Takashi or something? Uh, Tokyo, uh, yeah. Josh Toshimori. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's his first name. That's <laughs> exactly. Did, that's did, a you long all, name. did you all have any nicknames for kids that you could recall down at the, down at the uh, um, Academy? Uh, the Academy? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, oh, yes. I remember Rick would always call Jennifer Sparky. Sparky. Sparky, Sparky Capriati, huh? Exactly. <laughs> That's always kind of fun. Yeah. I always nickname a lot of my students. I nickname. Oh yeah. You know, kids. I'm sure you all, all do too. Uh, we've got uh, Madison Keys, Madison Avenue. That's a, that's another good one. Oh, isn't it? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Florian Meyer, Oscar Meyer. I like that. That's pretty good. Denis Shapovalov. Uh, Shapstick, Shapstick. Yeah, not Shapo, but Shapstick. Shapstick, I like yes. Uh, our, one of my favorites. What about, huh? what about Roger FedEx? You just feel like he, he makes oh, an X of everybody. There we go. There we go. Yes, uh, he called him Fed Fan. Uh, Brad Gilbert calls him Fed. Oh, okay. I like FedEx. Yeah. I like I like FedEx yeah. better. That's just my uh, my uh, Al Allison Risk. Risk and reward. Of course, risk that, and reward. Yeah. Risk and reward's one of those good ones. Uh, Shelby Rogers, Shelby Cobra. Uh, <laughs> He's a car fan. He's oh, a car yeah. guy. Yeah. Dominic Team. Oh, home team. Home or, team. Yeah, yes, home that is team. Home team. Yeah, that's uh, good. Uh, Roberta Vinci. The Da Vinci Code. Yeah, Da Vinci Code. Ooh. Yes, I like that. Uh, Jeannie Bouchard. Twins Bouchard, because she's got a sister, B. B. Bouchard. Uh -huh. uh, let's see. Oh, David Ferrer. I like this one. The Little Beast. beast the yeah. Beast. The Beast. So, let's see. What else we got? Uh, Jack Sock. Rock'em Sock. Rock'em Sock'em. I always liked the big lefty from Luxembourg, Gilles Muller. Yes. And, uh, and he would call him Ferris Mueller. <laughs> Ferris Mueller? Yeah. Oh, Ferris and, Mueller. Oh, yes. And, uh, and I was uh, I was in a fairly large group, and uh, Brad Gilbert trotted that one out, and uh, and I thought, did anyone get that? Anyone? 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 Okay. And sadly, nobody really got it. No, no one. No one yeah. got it. Nobody got it. Yeah. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, Serena Williams. Here we go. SW23. Oh, one day it'll be SW24. Right, SW23. <laughs> little reference to the zip code in Wimbledon. Yes, that is correct. SW19 was uh, probably when she won 19 slams. Nick Curios is uh, Cheerios Curios. Cheerios. I call him Curious. I'm a Curious like, Curios. Yeah. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. All right, so here's these top. Here's the next nine. The nine going in. Number nine, uh, Ekaterina Makarova. Hey, Makarova. I like that. Hey, Makarova. Uh -huh. Hey, Makarova. Gilles Boucher. Yeah, that's right. Ferris Mueller. Ferris Mueller. That's my favorite. Yeah. Yes. Obscure, but a good one. Bernie Tomic. How about uh, Jen and Tomic? Jen and Tomic. Yeah. Number six. Oh, okay. Number six. Uh, Sloan Stevens. What's, what's he call her? Oh, he smiles so big when he uses the word the Sloan Ranger. The Sloan Ranger. There you go. <laughs> Did you know that one, Dr. J? Have you heard that one before? That's a great one. Uh, Simona Hallett. Simona Hallett. His his business partner or, or colleague Darren Cahill, they call her Jalapeno. Jalapeno. Yeah. Right, there you go. Ah! Uh, number four, Garbine Muguruza. Oh, I don't know this one. Muguruthless. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> and then uh, Borna Korich. Oh, Borna Chorich. What does he call that guy? Uh, Borna I Identity. The Borna Identity. That's right, Borna yeah, Identity. Yeah, the Matt Damon movies. <laughs> movies yeah. right. Oh, the Borna Identity. Okay. Yes. Number two, yep. Angelique Kerber. This is this ought to be fairly easy. Just oh, Kerber. Uh, Kerber. There you go. There we go. Kerber baby. <laughs> the Gerber baby. The, the Gerber, Gerber baby. Kerber, 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 Kerber. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's kind of a Stones fan. I'm surprised he didn't go. Yeah. And Jay. Angie, yeah, Angie. but it's hard to do. It's hard but to do. Yeah. It is. We we don't sing here. Yeah, I clearly didn't, didn't do a good job there. <laughs> and the number one Brad Gilbert ism, you know, is 
for Evo Karlovich is, that's the easy one right there, Dr. Evo. Like Dr. Joy. That's you right. ended on a, we went it on a, on a right nice there. coincidence. I like it. Yeah, Dr. J, Dr. Joy right there. We, we know that uh, uh, time is short. Yeah. Dr. J, do you have one little timerick that you might give us that's a tennis? Yeah, some tennis advice rick. to our people. And yes. our people are tennis players, juniors, tennis parents, tennis coaches, and just pop culture fans who like comedy entertainment okay. show. So feel free to go a little off the okay. menu. Let me give you one little fun one. It's a, here's a stress buster. Remember we used to have Ghostbusters and Stress Busters? Yeah. Remember, but the stress buster, remember the Julia Roberts, Eat, Pray, Love movie? It's like three main words. Here's the three words, the stress buster words. Smile, breathe, and move. But people don't realize when you smile, it sends positive endorphins to your brain. When you breathe, it, it, the, the length of your breath is directly related to your state of mind. So if you take a nice deep breath, you're confident. If your breathing is shallow, you're fearful. So if you want to do three. And the third thing is move. Get the happy feet, get your twinkle toes on. So you, so you have a twinkle in your eye, twinkles on your toes to make, you know, to win the dough. To win the dough. There Dr. Joy, we leave you with <laughs> smile, breathe, move, and God bless you, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much, Dr. J. That's, we know you've got to go. You've got a, a, a very important call coming up, but we've, we've uh, spent a lot of quality moments here with Dr. J for the last hour, actually, hour and, and six minutes we're, we're out there. i got to tell you, we have smiled a lot this hour. We've breathed a lot this hour. <laughs> we haven't moved that much, but we, we will again tomorrow morning. But we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot, and thank Thank you, Dr. Joy. Oh, thank you so much, Craig and Agent. It's a real honor and pleasure, and you guys do a fabulous job on SNS Podcast, and I'm sure that your listeners want to hear many, many more. Well, thank you, Dr. J, and we'll, we want you to have a great night, and we'll look forward to seeing you on a court somewhere soon, right? Talk soon, Joy. Thank awesome. you. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Good night. Have a good night.